0: We've been in a study of our new identity in Christ. And some of the things that God calls us as new creatures. And maybe you remember the story of the preacher. He's at the back of the church and his people are leaving the building he's shaking hands. And he grabs one guy and says, you need to join the army of the Lord. And the guy says, I'm already in the army of the Lord. And the preacher says, how come I only see you at Easter and at Christmas? And the guy says, I'm in the secret service. (laughs) Well, you need to know that when you came to Christ and you received your new identity, you were drafted into the army of the Lord. For many years now, I've gone every spring to something called the Pepperdine Bible Lectureships to speak. I go with my good friend, uh, Chris Seedman. The lectures start on Tuesday night, we always fly out on Tuesday morning, and there's a golf course in Thousand Oaks, California, a public course we go, and we play golf before the lectures start. And every year they put someone with us and we make new friends. Now this is how it works on the golf course, I don't know why, you meet someone you've never met, and they always ask you on the third hole what you do for a living. And that's when Chris and I say, well we're a bunch of preachers from Texas, which is always when our friend's language goes through an amazing transformation, But this one year, about five or six years ago, we're playing with a 70-something-year-old man named Sid, who had not cussed at all, which is unusual on the golf course. And Sid found out we were preachers, and he got excited. He told us he was a dedicated Christian, too. And he proceeded to tell me one of the most amazing conversion stories I've ever heard. Sid came to Christ in the middle of the Korean War. He was on one hill in sub-zero weather with his platoon. And on the other side of a hill were 100,000 Chinese. And in that context, his chaplain led him to Christ. They went one night and found a creek. And broke the ice on top of the frozen over creek. So that Sid could get in it to get baptized. And I said, Sid, that is amazing. You got saved in the middle of a war. And I will never forget his reply. He said, Rick. I didn't know I was in a war until I got saved. When you read your New Testament, you find it is full of military metaphors and battle imagery. Now, some in our politically correct day are tired of that and they get them out of our hymnals. And we don't need to do that. Because in the New Testament, the understanding is we really are in a cosmic conflict. And it's life. And death. And so Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 verse 3 and 4 and says, So endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And as Christ's soldier, do not let yourself become tied up in the affairs of this life. For then you cannot satisfy the one who has enlisted you in his army. And so part of embracing my new identity in Christ is my commitment to be a better soldier in the army of the Lord. Now, if I'm a soldier, that has a couple of obvious implications. One is that must mean that we are at war. And we are. You and I are in a war that we did not start But we cannot escape. This war probably started before man was even created. It started in the heavenlies. It started among the angel realm. And Satan and the demons led a revolt against God. And they were cast out of heaven. Now, from a human perspective, God declared war at what we call the fall of man. When Adam and Eve sinned, God said to his enemy, through her seed... I am going to bring forth a son. And you're going to crush his heel? He's going to crush your head. And God announced there that he planned to launch a counter-offensive to recover that which Satan and his army had illegitimately claimed from God. And God did launch that counter-offensive. And D-Day was Bethlehem. The Bible says in 1 John 3 and in verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And we see his work, don't we? We see the oppression. We see the poverty. We see the racism. We see the divorce. We see the drugs. We see the crime. But the fact is, most people don't see this as the devil's work. You now, I thought about it. If you're a child and you're growing up right now in Iraq or Afghanistan, Have you heard bombs and explosions so often that you think it's normal? And is it possible that people that don't know Christ, they see the ordinance of hell, and they're so used to it, they've become deaf to it. But when you become a Christian, Two things change. One, your eyes get open to all of the destruction that Satan is doing in our world. And second, your heart begins to be burdened. And you want to be a part of what God is doing to recover for God what Satan has illegitimately claimed. You see, I think it's significant the very first mention of the church in the Bible is in a military context. Jesus said, I am going to build a church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. I am going to start a movement that is going to go out aggressively against the line of the enemy. And Satan's going to put up fences and walls to stop the advance of my church. And my church is going to knock them down. And my church is going to take back what rightfully belongs to God. And so, the question is not, as a Christian, are you a soldier? The question is, as a Christian, are you a good or a bad soldier? Because, you see, not only if I'm a soldier am I at war, but if we're soldiers, we are under orders. In fact, one translation of that text we read a moment ago says that a soldier on duty concentrates on carrying out his orders. Soldiers understand being under authority. A lot of you have served in the military, and you know that's true. In fact, I think it's interesting, only one man in the Gospels is ever said to have amazed Jesus, and he was a soldier. He had a sick servant, and he came to Jesus and said, could you heal my servant? And Jesus said, yes, I will come back to your house and do that. And this soldier says, you don't have to. See, I understand authority. I've got a commanding officer and I do whatever he tells me to do. And I've got men under me and they do whatever I tell them to do. And you, sir, have authority. Just say the word and my servant will be well. And Jesus said, I haven't found anybody with this much faith in all Israel. Now you and I have to be honest. We have been guilty of periodic insubordination haven't we there have been times when we got orders from our commanding officer and we chose not to obey what we want to become are just say the word soldiers because in combat unquestioned obedience is critical Now, I've not been in the military. I've not been in battle. But I am told that when you're in the middle of a war, you can't sit around and debate whether or not you're going to obey your orders. You've got to do immediately what you're told to do or more people are going to die. Now, we're in a war. Satan's been vanquished, but he's not yet vanished. And there's no such thing as a Christian that's not under fire. In this war, every Christian's got a target, on his back, and hell is aiming for you. Some of you remember this movie a few years ago, Black Hawk Down? And in the movie, there's a scene where some American military men are in this armored vehicle, and they're surrounded by enemy fire in a street in Somalia. And it's really intense and bad. And the commander in charge says to one young soldier, get in the vehicle and drive. And the soldier says, I can't. I've been shot, and the officer barks, we've all been shot, get in and drive. There is a reality in this war that everybody in this room has been attacked by the devil. None of us get to say, hey, I'm in timeout, I'm going to sit on the sidelines, I've been hurt, I've been wounded, don't expect anything of me. We've all been shot at. We're all getting shot at. Report for duty. The best known text about this war is in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, please notice he did not say so if evil comes. When it comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. We are called as soldiers of Jesus Christ to report for duty and take our stand on the front lines. And let me tell you how we can do that well. First thing is that we've got to stand against Christ's enemy. In other words, we've got to let Jesus tell us who the enemy is. There's a conflict being waged in the invisible spiritual realm that is being manifest in the visible physical realm and we can't see the enemy but we can see his handiwork we see the drugs we see the divorce we see the violence we see the corruption we see the racism we see it all and we know who's really behind it now let's admit this is a distinctly christian worldview. If you're not a Christian, you see all this wickedness, and you think the issue is flesh and blood. We know there's something behind it. That's the real issue. We know that the evil problem is really a devil problem. And this has profound implications for us. For example, it tells us who we need to be shooting at. We see people out there who are doing bad things, wicked things. We don't pretend they're not. But they are not our enemies. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. And the people out there doing the things that we don't like, they're not the enemy. They are the victims of the enemy. And they don't need to be reviled. They need to be rescued it also has implications about our allies who are we fighting with I can tell you what I think anybody who is standing against the devil in Jesus name is on my side anybody in Mark chapter 9 the disciples came to Jesus and said Jesus there was a guy and he was casting out demons in your name But he wasn't one of us, so we told him to stop. And Jesus said, you did what? He is standing against the devil in my name? And you told him to stop because he's not in our group? Anybody standing against Jesus' enemy in Jesus' name Is my ally. Now, when we focus on the wrong target, our mission is not doable. But when we focus on the right target, our mission is not stoppable because the Bible says, James chapter 4, verse 7, you resist the devil and he will flee from you. And that word resist is the same Greek word that's translated stand in Ephesians 6. You resist stand against the devil and he will back down you know why because we stand in christ victory the battle still rages but the outcome has already been decided we're not fighting for victory we're fighting from victory because in every war there's a key battle that turns the tide right you study any war, there's a battle that turned the tide of the war. And even though the war is not officially over, you already know who's going to win the war. And in this battle, there was one moment that turned the tide of the war. And the battlefield was called Calvary. In John chapter 12, Jesus said, the time of judgment for the world has come, when the prince of this world will be cast out, and when I'm lifted up on the cross, I'll draw everyone to myself. You see, the death and resurrection of Jesus delivered a blow from which the enemy cannot recover, because Satan's greatest weapon has been deactivated. Now let me illustrate. Raise your hand if you've seen a James Bond movie. Okay, everyone who's not holding their hands up needs to repent because I know you've seen a James Bond movie. And James Bond movies all have the same plot. The enemy has some terrible weapon through which he's going to blackmail and terrorize the whole world. And James has got to go into the enemy territory and destroy that weapon. Now, there was a weapon Satan held called death. And the reason we were terrorized by that weapon was because we were all deserving. We're all sinners, and the wages of sin is death. Now, Jesus has got to do something to destroy that weapon. Look at Colossians chapter 2 with me. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins. He canceled the record that contained the charges against us. He took it and destroyed it. By nailing it to Christ's cross. In this way, God disarmed the evil rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross of Christ. You've heard me tell the story of Napoleon. He was on a table one time with a map and his generals were around him. And he pointed to a red spot and said, Sir, if it wasn't for that spot, I could conquer the world. And he was pointing to Great Britain. Imagine the devil and his minions around a map, and he curses, and he fumes, and he points to a red spot and said, if it wasn't for that red spot, I could have owned the world. And that red spot is Calvary. But the cross disarmed him. The cross took his weapon and destroyed it. Now, he doesn't want you to know that. And because he's a liar, even though he doesn't have his weapon, he still tries to act like he does. And so he's going to accuse you every time you sin and every time you mess up. And he's going to try to convince you that he's still got a weapon. And the way you're going to stand against his assaults is to remember where you stand with God because you've been washed in the blood. Look at the song we're all going to sing in Revelation chapter 12. It's happened at last. The salvation and power and kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ. For the accuser has been thrown down to earth. The one who accused our brothers and sisters before our God day and night. And they've defeated Him because of the blood of the Lamb. And so you're going to hold your ground. Because you're going to hold up the cross. The devil can't stand the sight of blood. But you're going to do something else. You're then going to go on the offensive and compel him to back down. Now, I don't know if you saw this in the paper back in May. True story, 30-something-year-old Australian named Jason Cole. He's off the water there at a place called Middleton Beach swimming with some buddies. He saw a shadow coming toward him, thought it was a dolphin. And then suddenly he felt a great pain in his leg. And a great white shark was pulling him down Beneath the water. Now, I'm going to give all you people that like to go to the beach some advice what to do when this happens. He found that shark's head and found the eye and took his hand and violently poked that shark in the eye, and the shark let him go. So, teach this to your kids the next time you take them to the beach. Now you might say, isn't there a simpler plan? Just stay out of the water. Well, that works for sharks. That doesn't work for the devil. You can go anywhere and stay out of his reach. What you can do is learn what makes him back down. You can stand using Christ's strategy. Remember, we do not defeat the enemy in the power of the flesh. Peter tried that. When they came to arrest Jesus, he pulled out his sword and Jesus rebuked him because he wanted Peter to use a different sword. You see, the way to compel the enemy to leave is to out truth him, he's a liar. And so when Jesus was in the wilderness and he was tempted by the devil three times, he out the enemy. He brought out the sword of the Word of God and the devil backed down. Because the devil doesn't have a shield to protect himself against the Word of God. You've got a shield to protect yourself from fiery darts of the enemy. The devil doesn't have a shield. The Bible says, Ephesians six seventeen: Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Please notice, it is the Spirit's sword. Now that's important because when I was a boy, I taught the Holy Spirit isn't active anymore. He just lives inside the Bible. Now if that was true, it would have said, take the sword of the Word, which is the Spirit of God. But that's not what it said. It said, take the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. In other words, it's not that the Word wields the Spirit. It's the Spirit that uses the Word. What we've got to do is fill up our hearts with the Holy Spirit. We've got to pray every day, God, this is a tough world and the enemy is real. And I need to be led every second by your spirit. I need to listen to your spirit. I need to follow the promptings of your spirit. And when you live that way, the spirit in the moment, in the heat of the battle, is going to give you the right word to compel the enemy to back down. And so John could write in 1 John two 14, I've written to you who are young because you're strong with God's word living in your hearts and you've won your battle with Satan. That should be every soldier's story. Don't you love a good soldier's story? I think that's why right now so many of us are enamored with a young man who plays baseball for the Texas Rangers named Josh Hamilton. Most of you know his story. Some years ago, he was the number one draft pick out of high school, given millions of dollars. Great potential, great future. He's in a car a few months later with his mother. A dump truck runs a red light. They're hit. She's hurt bad. She has to go home. Josh can't play baseball for a few weeks. He's a young man with a lot of money and a lot of time, and that's a bad combination. He started hanging out in a tattoo parlor, and that's where he got his first taste of cocaine. And it became a serious addiction, a life that spiraled downward, numbers of trips to rehab, suspended from baseball for several years. Josh says he woke up after a coke binge one night in a trailer surrounded by sleeping people he didn't even recognize. Stumbled to his grandmother's house, emaciated, Weak, frail, and fell asleep and had a dream. And in his dream, there's this evil creature that keeps coming after him that he identified as the devil. And he's got a bat and he's swinging and he's swinging, but it doesn't matter how hard he tries. He can't defeat the devil. And his life continues to spiral down for seven more months. And then he has another dream. And in his dream, there's the same evil creature, and he's got the same bat. And he's swinging and he's swinging. But this time, he feels the presence of someone with him, helping him. And he looks, and he sees Jesus. And this time, the enemy withdraws. And Josh has been very public telling this story. And I want you to see how he describes the lesson he learned. He says, we keep fighting, and I'm filled with strength. The devil didn't stand a chance. To me, the lesson was obvious. Alone, I cannot win this battle with Jesus. I cannot lose. And so a few weeks ago at the All-Star Game, he's there at the Home Run Derby. He sets a single-round record of 28 home runs. The whole nation is enthralled. And there in front of the whole nation, uh, Aaron Anders of ESPN gives him a moment to speak a word. And like he's done everywhere, he gives glory to God for what he's been able to do. And this baseball broadcaster says to the whole nation watching, it's a bad day to be an atheist. Don't you love a good soldier story? And you see, those stories are all over this church. Because we know what the real issues are. We don't get bogged down in the petty little peripheral fusses and fights that some people want to spend their time with. We know we're talking life and death for the soul's of people in fact right now I'd like you to hear one more story of one of your newest brothers so watch the screen
1: at the age of 14 I started doing drugs and I believed that the spirit was in me that I had a conscience that I knew what right and wrong was but I had no direction or anyone to guide me throughout the rest of the journey. And, you know, my 20s were just a a crazy, crazy time for me. And uh, Michelle was swept up into it. I don't know why or how, but she fell in love with me. At 30, she couldn't handle me being in in our home anymore. And so I wound up at the Salvation Army. I stayed there for nine months. I came out of the Salvation Army a new man. At uh, 31 years old, I went to work in the wool field. And with three years clean, I, uh, on New Year's Day of 2007, I relapsed. And thus started the last year and a half. In March of 2007, I relapsed again and got a DWI. And in that jail cell in uh, Tarrant County, I made a decision that I wasn't gonna stop following the Lord, no matter what happened. And uh, having made that decision, the road got no easier. It's so important. That we realize that there are forces in this world that we cannot see. They whisper in our ear. They tell us that there's something we need. We make this choice to put something before our relationship with Jesus. And it's so painful. What I am most grateful for is this church from the people who have loved me in Casa for the last six years. They have listened to so much pain and suffering, most of it self-inflicted. And they have loved me and welcomed me back and forgiven me time after time. And without that love, I don't know that I would be alive today. I feel like I'm on a firm path. I feel like I know that it's always a choice between truth and lies there's been many battles along the way you know and i don't think it's going to get any easier from from this day forward when we are truly following jesus we will be attacked but there is such a joy when he overcomes those things that i'm not gonna stop i i just won't stop and that is just a gift from the spirit it's not because i'm some righteous man It's not because I'm able. It's not because I have some capability. It's because I won't stop seeking. So if there's any message I have for people, it's just choose Jesus on a moment-to-moment basis. And it doesn't mean that that road's always going to be easy. But it's worth it.
0: Now let me... um... Let me close by saying there's a reason this church makes the choices we make. There's a reason we have the values that we have. There's a reason we have the vision we have. There's a reason we make the changes we make. We know what the mission is. And we will not, we must not compromise the mission. Only 21% of this city is worshiping the Lord this weekend. Four out of five of our neighbors have no relationship to God. Our mission is not to be happy. Our mission is not to stay comfortable. Our mission is not to stay inside our walls and say, we've conquered all the ground for God we want to conquer. We don't want to have to make any changes and conquer anymore. Our mission is to engage the enemy. Because our city is still filled with Josh's and with Shannon's. With your friends and mine who need to know the Lord. I guess that's why I've always liked the true story that comes out of the Civil War at the Battle of Shiloh. Back in those days, the way that you gave commands to your troops was through signals on a drum. The Union forces were trying to take a hill that was held by the Confederates. And the officer said to the young man, beat, attack. And so he beat, Attack. And the union forces stood and started to charge the hill. But they come under intense enemy fire. And the commanding officer shouted to the young man, beat retreat. And he got his drum out and he beat attack again. And the officer said, I told you to beat retreat. And the boy replied, sir, they never taught me retreat. They only taught me attack. And the troops heard the call to attack the second time and they charged a second time. And they took the hill. They won the battle. I've read our orders. There is no command to retreat. The command is to attack. Engage the enemy. Alone, we cannot win. But in the words of Josh with Jesus... We cannot lose. This morning, if you would like someone to pray with you about the battle you're in and your own struggle with the enemy, I'd like you to go to our chapel. And some of your leaders are going to wait for you there and give you the attention you need. And if, like Shannon and so many others in this room right now, you're ready to become a follower of Jesus... You're ready to join the army of the Lord. You're ready to be baptized into the cause for which he died. Would you come down as we sing a song that reminds us that with Jesus we cannot lose. Let's all be standing, please.